James chapter 4. If you take your Bible, turn to James chapter number 4. The title of our message tonight is, is a bit of a strange title, but the title of our message tonight is simply this. It's War, Peace, and Prayer. War, Peace, and Prayer. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that was written primarily to believers, but I believe the principles that we find in James 4 are universal principles. They help us understand the root causes of war. They help us understand the serenity that is available for any believer. And then they give us a pathway, um, an invitation that you and I have and that any thinking Christian should take advantage of. I'm also gonna just give, in a sense, a heads up that tonight we're going to be rather instructive with this passage. And as we're kind of walking through this passage, I trust that the instructive um, insights will also be compelling that we'll measure ourselves against the word of God like James invites us to do, to look in the mirror of the word and then see how our lives can be more accurately conformed to the witness of the word as presented tonight. You, you might even ask, um, why, why war, peace, and prayer? I've been thinking about a message on war, honestly, for some time because of the wars and rumors of wars. And then yesterday, I received an email from a, a person that I consider my brother in Christ in, in some very endearing ways. And I've mentioned him to you before, but not recently. His name is, is Brother, I call him Brother Samuel. Um, he, he says, Brother Jeff, and, and I sign my notes, you know, my emails to him, your brother. And so he is in Myanmar. I had the privilege of, of being with him a few years ago, had plans to be back with him, and then civil war broke out in Myanmar. So he wrote me yesterday, and he said this. He said, I would like to bring special prayer requests to you for us, the people of Kalamio, that's his city, and the whole of Myanmar. I will emphasize prayer points for the school and Kalamio. I'm not going to read the entire email, but I'm going to read a healthy portion of it. These days, situation is not calm at all. The rumors of war troubles our hearts, and we are really weakened by the sounds of bombs and gunshots every day. When the sun goes down, we close the gates and stay inside. On 26 November, the PDF, that's the People's Defense Forces, so the Civil War has many groups that are under that umbrella of the PDF, the, the People's Defense Forces. So they have come together, and then, of course, there is the, the army. There was a coup. The army was, was taken over, and they're the ones, of course, that, are, that are, have brought about the Civil War. So he said, the, um, um, on 26 November, the PDF and the ethnic armed forces warned us, especially to those living close to the military camps and gates, to shortly leave their houses before December 15th. It seems that they are going to fight to occupy Kalamio. 
Indeed, this will cause severe battle inside the city because there are over a thousand armies in Calamio. That would be of the, um, of the, the national army that is trying to seize control of the, of the country. Um, he goes on, as the war seems to be going so severe after December 15th, it appears that all shops will be closed and the city roads will be empty. Therefore, we have started saving, storing some foods for a month, such as peas, beans, oils, and others. No students can go home because their families have been displaced by war. So we will all be in the campus. Banks can close at any time. Now we need to purchase bags of rice ahead. <clears throat> As the war is so much approaching, we do expect the military armies are using jet fighters, helicopter, and different heavy weapons. We therefore plan not to run at anywhere, but stay all together at the ground floor of the auditorium building with some neighbors and campus families. But the, but the situation will speak when the time comes. If we need to run at safety place, we will do. Uh, yes, the situation is not good at all. I therefore humbly ask you to pray for us, for God's provision and protection. We trust in him and alone. I trust you understand our situation, and I write all these things so you can pray for us effectively. So he wrote, and, and I thought about the reality of a war that doesn't get a lot of attention right now because, of course, the, the war in Ukraine and Russia and then the war in Israel and Palestine. But it is one of the raging wars that's taking place. I have prayed to God about a lot of things that have impacted and influenced me personally, but I have never prayed regarding the reality of war that was in my neighborhood. I've never had to pray that way. I suspect that I would pray with greater urgency and intensity if that were my situation. But because I, I know people in situations like that, I'm, I'm praying for Brother Samuel and the small college in Myanmar that Campus Church has helped on numerous occasions. One of the things that we were able to do as a church not long ago, um, just after a civil war broke out but had not yet really reached Calamio, uh, we funded the building of a, a healthy wall that surrounds their small campus. They have about 70 students at their Bible college and seminary, but we help construct a wall just to help protect the environment. And then I received another email, and I just got this one today. This is from one of our missionaries in Brazil, and her name's Bethany Thompson, and she's facing a different kind of war. Not long ago, we received word that she had been invited to serve on some kind of a council on education by the government. So she wrote today, and she starts with Romans 15.30. She says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. And then she wrote, I really need you to strive together with me in prayer. So much has transpired in the last couple of weeks since learning of the new national plan for education in Brazil, which is currently going through state approval before going on to the national conference and Congress in January. 
I will share more as I am able. Tomorrow and Thursday. Remember, I received this, um, I actually received this yesterday. Um, she said, tomorrow and Thursday, so that's today and tomorrow, I will be a delegate representing private schools in my state at the conference that will be discussing the pro proposed new plan for education. I know of 10 conservatives who are also delegates. Much is at stake as Christian lib liberties are under attack. We need your fervent prayers. Please pray for boldness when we should be bold, wisdom to know when we should be silent, protection and good health for all involved in this. And then she uses the word battle. The next two days will be long. Many fronts are being fought by conservatives who are uniting all over the country. Pray for all of the efforts in the works and for God's protection, mercy, and power to be evident. Pray for his will to be done. In Christ, Bethany Thompson. And this was the second email that I received from missionaries in Brazil regarding a very radical educational agenda that can become the national law. So those are two war letters that I received. They're different kinds of wars, but the reality of them is, is real. There are pressing battles that they are fighting. And so then you start to ask the question, where do these come from? How does this start? Why in this world can't we enjoy the peace that was promised after World War I? That'll never happen again. We said globally. And then World War II, and that'll never happen again. And then on and on and on. And I suspect that if you are anything like me, just the ongoing onslaught of information that we have today regarding war, it makes you pause and think, like, is that going to come knocking at my door? Where does this come from? And even in the midst of the, the battle that is global in its nature, where do we as believers come into play? Okay, so your Bibles are open right now to James chapter 4. Let's start out with the first point of this simple outline, and that is war. So we're going to confront and ask scripturally, where does this come from? Okay, so your Bibles are open, James chapter 4. Let's start in verse number 1. James 4, verse number 1. From whence come wars and fightings? Now, please notice this. These are two important words, and you might want to highlight them in your digital Bible, circle them in your paper Bible. But then he uses the words, among you. Where do these battles come from, these wars and fightings? And then he uses two words. Now, remember, James is talking to this first assembly, this church at Jerusalem, Pastor James. And James now says, how is it that there are wars and fightings among you? Now, again, we can extrapolate and we can say, okay, if they are coming from among the church, do these things also hold true, these contributing factors to war? Do these also hold true outside the church? And the answer is yes, but let's look a little bit further. He says, here's where your wars and your fightings are coming from. Come they not hence, even of your lusts 
that war in your members. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. We'll pause right there. So if James had simply asked the question, where do wars and fightings come from? It might have been a more palatable question for us tonight. But he actually personalizes this. He makes it um, very intimate for the church. He says, okay, we get it that there are going to be wars and fightings. But what he kind of stands back and scratches his head uh, regarding is is he says, why are they happening among you? That is a really powerful and we might even say sad question that has to be asked. And the language that James uses here, it's not exclusive to the church at Jerusalem. The theme, in a sense, appears to be found all throughout the New Testament. We won't take time to track that throughout Scripture, but 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Paul's saying to the church at Corinth, and by the way, he reiterates the the same theme, not only in 1 Corinthians, but he does so again in 2 Corinthians. He says, why is there this constant battle? Why are there these, these wars that are happening among you? If there ever needed to be a united front against a warring world, it is clearly within the church. So essentially what he's saying is the, the world, of course, declares war. But, but for believers, that we should declare war against sin, but not war against one another within the confines of the local church. So before we proceed any further with this, I think it's also important that we acknowledge what James doesn't do. Now, James is going to get to the problem of Satan in just a few moments, in a few verses. He's going to tell us, okay, here's how you you can get the the devil to flee from you. But I also find it interesting that James doesn't start praying a prayer against the, the demon of division. He doesn't say, do you know the church right now is being attacked by the demon of strife and contention, and we need to pray away the demons. He he really is not looking for a devil behind every corner to blame for their problems. Now, clearly, I think Satan is delighted when there are wars anywhere. But I can't imagine that he doesn't have some special glee when there is some division, warring, fighting within the local church. And so James doesn't pin the responsibility on the devil. He says, hey, listen, These are the kinds of things that shouldn't be named among you. And then he says, here's why you are having some of those issues. Same reason why we might see war, fightings, strife, contentions outside the church. Some of these matters have actually found their way inside the church. So notice a couple words that he uses. He uses wars. The the reason I think why he uses wars and fightings, wars gives us the idea of this is a long-standing issue. This is a man, this is, this is a matter that runs deep between different people. They're just at war within the church. They're, they're fighting against somebody that they just, they've got an issue with, and that's a long-standing thing. And then he also uses the next term, fightings, and that's almost like this specific outburst of hostility. So where do they come from? Okay, let's, let's get to his answer 
because this helps us understand why are we even seeing the wars that we're seeing today? Well, he gets to the source of the fighting and the first source that we're gonna look at is the, the fighting, the wars that come from within, not the ones that come from without. We're gonna start by noting that war will always rage around us when there is a war raging within us. War will always rage around us if there is some kind of war that is raging within us. Have you ever noticed, um, have you ever had some issue that is yours and you know it's your issue? Like I went through a time, I went through, I had, this was going on, I was struggling with rebellion. Have you ever noticed that when there's something going on within you, a battle going on within you, it's as if everywhere you go, there is some battle that follows you. You just can't get away from it. And sometimes we even wonder, why is everybody a mess? Okay. Well, it's because we are. You know. We wonder, why are there issues everywhere I go? Why is everybody the problem? And everywhere we go, we seem to look and see problems every place. And, and many times the problem is not everyone else. The problem is not the war that's going on all around us. It's actually the war, the battle that is going on within us. Again, James chapter 4, verse number 1, he says, From whence cometh wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of... Now he makes it again very personal. You know, fightings among you. Come they not hence, even of... Very personal, your lusts that war in your members. The second word for war, we have it highlighted there in the passage of scripture that's on the screen. The second word for war is derived from the Greek word stratus. Stratus. The in implication of the Greek word is it's like this, um, this armed group of warriors, okay? This, this armed group of soldiers, and I find it interesting that he says, it's as if there is this armed, you know, um, um, group that's ready to do battle against you. And how does he make that connection? That war in your members. Like I have this internal battle that is ready for fightings and even all out war at any given moment. And it's an internal battle. I mean, who here hasn't faced the reality of like, wow, I, there, there is a battle in me that's raging right now and it is a battle of my flesh. And it inserts itself in any number of what we refer to as, sometimes we get dull to the, to the statement, but, but let it sink for just a moment. Sometimes they're just warring through any manner of what we call fleshly desires. They war against your members. Okay, my body. So I want this. I desire this. And then the, the other word, if we go back to that slide again, the other word that's highlighted in this passage is your lusts. Okay, so the word that's used here is a word that we're not unfamiliar with. The, the, word is the, the Greek word is the word we get hedonism from. Hedonism. He says, okay, you have in your members, your body, you have this desire for pleasure. 
Now, now, of course, that can be in pleasurable things that we would term as fornication, but it can be any, any manner of pleasures. Like sometimes it's just the pleasure of the spotlight or me being first. Sometimes it's the pleasure of laziness. Sometimes it's the pleasure of greed. Sometimes it's the pleasure of gluttony. Sometimes it's the pleasure of, and you fill in the blank. But what he's saying is, man, there is a, there's like this armed group of soldiers called your flesh that are willing to take captive and use your desires against you. Now, before we get too crazy on desires, let's remember where did all of them come from? Who gave you desire? Desire comes from God. So don't, don't, you know, throw out desire. He gave you all things richly to what? Enjoy. But desire has to be kept within what we might again refer to as the boundaries of God's good pleasure. The easy one for us to use is marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. And you know what God says regarding marriage and its bed? He says, listen, have fun. Satisfy desire. I've given you a vehicle through which the desires I've given you can actually be satisfied. So he says, yeah, get married and, and enjoy the, the fulfillment of a physical desire. And that comes from God. So sometimes we, we feel a little awkward about, wow, can, can we really, you know, just have fun in marriage? And the answer is, well, of course you can. Well, 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 you know, sometimes I've, I've heard, no, 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 that's, that's where God said fulfill that desire. But now when we take that desire outside of marriage, oh, now we've got a, a war that's raging. Now there's a battle that has to be fought and won. Now there's one to whom I have to submit. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. We, we get in James in just a few verses. Submit yourself, therefore, to God resist the devil and he will flee from you. And you know, really the, the key in this is not resist the devil. Sometimes people quote the verse and they say, hey, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let me, let me tell you, I can't resist the devil unless I have first submitted myself to God. So we submit ourselves to God so that we can resist the devil and then he has no choice. But, but like he did for, from Jesus, he fled for him for a season He's coming back again. And, and then we just continually practice the same pattern. God, may I submit myself, my desires, may they all come underneath my submission to you. Why do we continually have war? Well, because people want what they can't justifiably have. And, and I'm not just talking about the war within us. Why do we have war? Well, because I, I want that property. I want this power. I, I want that, you know, that boundary. I, I want those resources. I want, well, yeah, but that's, that's not yours. It doesn't matter. I want it. I have a desire for. And so now I'm going to go beyond and I'm going to claim what is not righteously or rightfully, justifiably mine. Same thing happens with you and I. The matter of war. 
In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 11, the Apostle Peter helps us understand some things again regarding our desire. He says, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. You're outsiders, he's saying. Abstain from fleshly lusts, and here's the word again, which war against the soul. Our flesh is always prepared to wage war on anything or anyone that stands in its way. And that's the, that's the way wars that we're seeing today in a global scale, they happen. Listen, I'm willing to go against anyone or anything to get what I want. There's an old uh, Puritan book. If you can, can get a copy of it, it's available. It's a great devotional read, but you have to think when you read it. The title of the book is called The Valley of Vision. And it's a collection of the old Puritan writings. And it's presented in devotional fashion. In one of the writings, one of the, the readings in the Valley of Vision, the author was talking about the depravity of self. And he wrote it this way. He said, when thou wouldst guide me, I control myself. When thou wouldst be sovereign, I rule myself. When I should depend on thy provision, I supply myself. When I should submit to thy providence, I follow my own will. When I should honor and trust thee, I serve myself. Lord, it is my chief desire to bring my heart back to thee. What he's saying is whenever I have an issue, it's because self has inserted itself into the equation. And then he just says, Lord, my desire is to bring my heart back to thee. And you know, I think that's a fair prayer when we find the war raging within. Lord, I don't even know how to accomplish it, but my prayer is that my heart would be returned to its rightful owner in submission to you. In James chapter four, verse number seven, he says, submit yourselves. We could say submit yourself, therefore to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. I'm just going to touch these last two. Peace, of course. If you back up in your scripture, if you have your Bible um, open, I'm going to put some on the screen. But in James chapter 3, we notice that, that the difference between the end of James 3 and the beginning of James 4 is almost jolting. Okay, look at the end of James chapter 3, verse number 17. He says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, Peaceable, I like that. Gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without, without partiality and without hypocrisy. You don't have to pretend. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And then, and then we jump into James chapter 4, verse number 1. From whence cometh wars and fightings among you? We, we go from this really idyllic passage of Scripture where he talks about peace and those that make peace and the product of peace and, and the characteristics of it. You know, he's, he's saying these words like, like, it's easy to be entreated. 
You can go talk to this person. You can have reasonable conversation with them. They're full of mercy and good fruits without partiality. Wow, how, how potent of a, of a Christ-likeness is this word that you and I can have without partiality. For example, have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus treated a, a guy like John, the beloved apostle, the same way as he treated Judas Iscariot, the betrayer? Jesus doesn't treat Judas even at what we refer to as the Last Supper in a manner which is um, demonstrating his hostility towards Judas, knowing that Judas is about to go and betray him without partiality. Wow, if you want to talk about the Prince of Peace, Jesus is the demonstration of that. And he says, hey, listen, these are the characteristics that can be yours. James notes that the selfish believer has no ability to come before God in a manner that pleases God and provides for the believer. He's just saying, listen, if you're all about self, you you are all about something that is so um, um, uh, uh, counterproductive to what Jesus Christ is all about. Peace. And again, what a difference a chapter makes. And then let's wrap this up. Look at the last one. Look at verse number two, James chapter four, prayer. So now we get to prayer and he just says, ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye have not, because ye ask not. And then he says, uh, uh, ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. There are two prayer failures that James covers and Let's just mention them. First of all, a failure to pray personally. He says, listen, ye have not because ye ask not. He says, listen, this is the open door. James says, come on, ask. What what do you want to talk to God about? God, I'm, I'm having these wars. It's almost like everywhere I go, I have a new battle to face. And it's not a battle that I'm standing for righteousness, that I'm standing for, Lord, it's just like everywhere I go, there's this swirl of strife and I can't get away from the fact that there is something going on in me that is causing some issues outside of me. He says, okay, so ask. And then he even expands this idea. Okay, you have desire. You have, he refers to it very plainly as lust. You have these desires but you're not having them. You're not seeing those things fulfilled. So why don't you talk to God about it? God, you're the giver of desire. Would you allow my desires to be fulfilled in a manner which rightly represents you? I'm I'm coming to you, God. I'm asking in such a way, would you satisfy desires that I have in such a way that a person can actually have a high opinion of you? Like, wow, I'm living a life that is a satisfied life. Desire is actually being met in my life. This rightly represents a good father who wonderfully provides for his asking children. He says, okay, don't not pray. What's the problem with prayer? He says, well, it's a failure to pray personally. And then, The second thing with that, it's a failure to pray properly. A failure to pray properly. He says, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. 
The verse answers the objection. I prayed and God didn't give me what I prayed for. He says, no, 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 no. God is so ready to give you in, in answer to prayer, any prayer that is consistent with who he is. But how inconsistent it would be for God to give you something that doesn't rightly represent him. Hey, don't raise your hand, but at least answer the question in your own mind. How many of you have ever been thankful that you didn't get what you asked for? Do you know who God is? God is the kind of good God that says, listen, I'm holding back something from you. Because if you got what you asked for, you, you would be sadly disappointed in, in the receipt of the same. And I think God gave us even a little window into that whole process. Do you remember when the children of Israel wanted food, wanted meat to eat? They were tired of this light bread. So they, they wanted meat to eat. So God gave them what they wanted and then they detested what they asked for. The Bible records it this way. The Bible says, they soon, in Psalm 106, verse 13, they soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request but sent leanness into their soul. They actually wound up detesting the thing that they thought they wanted. You know, when you think about these three words, you know, war, listen, the, the same causes for the wars that we see um, are causes for the wars that many times people can't see. And God has an answer for that. There is a place of submission where we find a peace and a safety and a security that can be secured through no other means. We, we can ask him for that. Lord, I, I see the troubled world that we're living in. And sometimes I experience the troubled world that I have of my own making created. So I'm coming before you. May I... Submit myself to you so that I have the potential to resist the greatest enemy that this world's ever seen. And Lord, may I see him turn tail and run. Peace, peace that passes understanding is what God promises for those who come to him on his terms.